This is Crowcast, the podcast from Crow in the UK, a leading audit, tax, advisory and risk firm with global reach and local expertise. In our podcast, you will hear from our specialists, offering insights and pragmatic advice to businesses of all sizes, professional practices, non-profit organisations, pension funds and private clients. Welcome to this session episode of Crowcasts. I'm Robert Marchant, Head of Tax here at Crow UK, and today we'll be discussing the upcoming autumn statement. For our regular listeners, you'll be familiar with a couple of our speakers who have joined us on previous statements and budget specials. Um, first person I'll introduce is Lawrence Field, Corporate Tax Partner. Good to be back. You're doing this again. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Rebecca Durant, Partner and National Head of Private Clients. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, echo what Lawrence says. Good to be back. Um, and a, a newbie to our podcast this time, but I'm delighted to welcome Caroline Fleet, partner and head of real estate. Thank you. Glad to be joining the experts. <laughs> so um, welcome to you all. Uh, now, there's been a bit of a feeling for this autumn statement of the kind of will they or won't they? Um, and specifically, will there be significant tax changes and cuts or, or not? Um, it was almost a year ago when the government in autumn statement 22 announced a range of tax and cut measures, sorry, cut measures, which I think it's fair to say, um, were not well received by all, and, and possibly the phrase tank the economy might have come out in a few places. Um, but a year on, 22-23 tax receipts are up to £788 billion, um, up 10%, and we're, we're told that the tax gap is reducing. And in recent weekends, we've had news from the government ministers suggesting that tax cuts may actually be possible. Um, although in probably the next breath that then came out was that inflation is, is stubbornly high still and maybe a barrier to tax cuts. So kind of leaves me as, as the chair of this podcast a little bit confused as to kind of will there or won't there be any changes from a tax perspective. Some of you listening may be aware that um, the Treasury actually asked for suggestions from the public for content for the autumn statement and Crow took the opportunity to respond to that, um, sending through a, a fairly detailed submission and I'm, I'm hoping that we'll have a number of Treasury ministers actually listening to this recording. Um, there were three central themes to what we had submitted, fiscal growth, promoting sustainability and simplifying the tax system. And what I'm now going to do is, is ask my panellists to, to talk about um, the, the expectations, predictions, things that we could be finding in the autumn statement next week, um, all around those three themes. So, Lawrence, you've been very vocal on social media in particular about the impact of fiscal drag. Um, could you tell us more about that, please? Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting because, you know, fundamentally, inflation has ended up being the Treasury's best friend. And for all the noises they've made about wanting to get inflation down, you know, quite frankly, the the longer they can keep it high, probably the more money that they'll be able to bring in in terms of tax. Uh, you know, obviously, that's in, in inflation adjusted tax. Um, you know, fiscal drag is kind of the only game in town that the the, the Treasury have dared use in terms of uh, raising tax rates. And, you know, if you look at the receipts, as you mentioned, you know, in, in between April and September, tax receipts were up £23 billion pounds, um, and about £13 billion of that was, was business taxes and VAT. And that's, you know, primarily down to the fact that companies are being taxed a lot more, but on their kind of inflationary gains rather than their real gains. Um, 
I, I think that's probably all quite well-trodden stuff. But I think inflation has a lot of other impacts in terms of it can drag companies and businesses into having to deal with admin and uh, and other areas that were actually designed for much larger companies. So you've, you've got the obvious stuff around, you know, companies potentially having to make accelerated tax payments, being pushed into higher rates of tax. And that's, you know, much the same as for individuals. But what what also happens is that, you know, some of the larger companies can, uh, you know, be or companies can be pushed into things that were originally designed for larger companies. So you've got things like VAT registration, you've got the timing of tax payments, whether transfer pricing documentation needs to be completed or not. You know, the, the larger end, you've got things like senior accounting officers, uh, you've got interest rates going up. So you've got things like the, the corporate interest restriction regime. And there, these are all things that, you know, kind of in themselves aren't the end of the world, but it requires quite a lot of energy and paperwork and documentation to comply with the uh, the underlying requirements. And these were really designed for companies that were bigger, but have now been dragged into it through inflation. Uh, and then I think if you look at things like fundraising, for example, you know, the EIS and VCT schemes, which a lot of smaller businesses use, they do have upper thresholds on the size of the balance sheet, number of employees, the turnover, things like that. And obviously, if your turnover has grown purely through inflation rather than your business actually being bigger in real terms, there's a danger that you can't raise the money that you'd have been able to raise as a smaller company. So, um, you know, fiscal drag grabs us in all sorts of different ways. I mean, I, I think the interesting thing is that the last stats I saw is that the UK is now 30th out of 34 in terms of, you know, international tax competitiveness for business. Um, and, you know, I've, I've just focused on business. I mean, that's without worrying about the impact on uh, individuals and the tax rates they have to pay. Thank you, Lawrence. And that's probably a perfect opportunity for me to introduce Rebecca then. So, Rebecca, you're our, our private client representative here. Um, what, what's your perspective on fiscal drag for individuals? Um, I think, it, you know, as, as, as Lawrence has, has said, fiscal drag has been the government's definitely friend, if not best friend, um, over the last couple of years. Uh, they, you know, they, they, there's a lot of talk about how tax rates haven't increased, but certainly the fix of personal allowances has has meant that um, more people have fallen within higher rate tax brackets, which has increased the tax take. I think that combined with um, the way the cost of living crisis has in, uh, impacted on wage inflation, for example, means that whilst wages are going up, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's more in people's pockets to spend because of um, the additional tax increases that 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 gives them by paying higher rate tax where they may not have done otherwise. Um, and not just on the income tax side, if you think about capital taxes as well, um, inheritance tax has been in the press quite a lot recently. Um, but looking at, and whilst it's not necessarily one of the biggest um, areas of tax take for the government, the um, there's certainly been an increase in the level of inheritance tax and the more people that are paying inheritance tax over the last few years. That predominantly comes from increase in property values, and Caroline will probably touch on, on the impacts on the real estate sector to shortly. But the nil rate ban for IHT hasn't changed in 15 years, 
um it the, the last change the last time that was increased back into was back in 2009 whereas over the last uh, when i was looking earlier on the last um 20 years we have seen a 207% increase in property value so if you think about the impact on that and on people's estates um and their exposure to inheritance tax you can see where that extra revenue is coming from so Yes, HMRC, um, HMRC and the government haven't moved tax rates per se, but by freezing everything as the way they have over the last few years and the way we've had to push up um, income, then certainly the, the job's being done that way rather than by any other means. Yeah, Rebecca, I, I, I read somewhere that the, you know, some measure of average, I don't know whether it's mean, median or mode, but salary was now nearer to 34K than maybe 25 or 26k and you go 34k is a lot closer to that higher rate you know tax band of being a 40% taxpayer than you know 26k was um and you know there's you know it seems to me there's a lot of people who you know have got jobs that you wouldn't expect that they would be higher rate taxpayers just you know because of the nature of the sectors they're in who could quite quickly be pulled into those uh, those uh, those higher bands absolutely when you think about um you think about the rate of which wages have had to go up over the last few years. If you think about our own business and professional services, the the, the level of salaries that are being commanded um, at what we would at one point consider relatively junior levels, they're not that far away from the higher rate tax bracket. It's only about 50K. It's not, you know, it's whilst that is, you know, a lot of money for a lot of people. It's still in the grand scheme of things. Um, a lot of people are much closer to that now than they, than they ever were before. Yeah. And not only does that impact tax rates, it impacts things like um, the ability to claim children's tax credit and all the other kind of benefits that go along with that. So the government are winning by not moving things in a number of ways, really. And you, you do end up with these kind of crazy situations with kind of almost infinite marginal rates with the mm. combination of earn an extra pound and then end up having a load of benefits withdrawn and everything else. Yeah, that, yeah absolutely. You know, can actually be quite a big disincentive to to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I've mentioned at the start that, that in our submission to Treasury, one of the um, areas that we talked about was promoting sustainability. So I'm, I'm keen to introduce um, Caroline at this point as well. So um, Caroline, you, you head our retail estate, se- our, our real estate sector. Um, what's the challenge of the UK's built environment and its contribution to the government's net zero ambitions? Well, I think um, the built environment, the real estate industry is a huge part of that jigsaw. So if we look at the net carbon that is coming from our built environment, by that I mean all the buildings that we live, work and play in. um, If you look at the UN research, it's saying that over 40% of all our carbon emissions is actually coming from that built environment. If you then overlay that actually over 80% of our buildings already exist within the UK, we have a massive challenge if we are to meet that sustainability targets. So there is a huge um, element that we need to be uh, adapting, retrofitting our buildings, as well as looking at are they fit for purpose for going forward from 2050. So um, coupled with that, you know, the, there is this ongoing challenge of um, housing demand. I mean, I think Rebecca mentioned about, you know, house, you know, property prices have been going up um, and um, the government have certainly looked at changing um, how they tax non-residents in relation to uh, properties in particular over the last few years. But that is a real challenge for us is um, there's still housing demand and how do you generate that as well as, 
against the background of that sustainability. Okay. And I guess a follow-up question for you, Caroline, would be around fiscal growth, which was another area in our submission to Treasury. So, you know, what, what steps do you think could be taken to, to drive growth in the real estate industry? So, um, I kind of uh, the way I look at it, I think there are two ways in terms of there's two areas of growth. There's the the growth in the housing market, which I kind of will talk about shortly. But I think there's also, as we said, the sustainability. How do we make sure we're building the right stuff um, um, and how we uh, put that in place? And I don't think at the moment there is no fiscal incentive at all. So anything would be a good start. I think there's a very small business rate uh, exemption, but they could be far more innovative. They could look at, for example, we suggested um, additional capital allowances. So if you are putting in a uh, sustainable, you could be um, products, you could actually give them extra capital allowances. It might be that you could do it like R&D, so you get a cash back on it. You could look at business rates. Business rates is always a key area in relation to real estate, looking at exemptions, reductions for meeting certain building standards. Um, VAT, I know a favorite area of yours. There's lots that could be done in that area as well. We could, we could now look at um, either, you know, for energy efficient enhancements, could you get them at a lower rate of VAT? Um, looking, you know, at the moment, a lot of energy enhancements are done as part of an overall repair. So um, ends up being standard rated for that purposes. Um, we could look at, you know, they could look at giving more buildings zero rated so that they could recover uh, the VAT that they suffer at the moment of them. But um, at the moment, we're starting from a fairly low uh, benchmark, I suppose, from what we've got at the moment. If I look at what could they be doing on the housing and stimulating growth there, I think over the last few governments, the default has always been let's play with SDLT. So we've had various SDLT holidays. Um, and all that tends to do is it uh, puts it does and put fire under the uh, market, but it is only a short term fix. All it does is accelerate a lot of it opens up the uh, market, but it does just um, accelerate. It doesn't give actually any more supply to the market. Um, I would think from the commercial side, I do think they need to do about something about business rates. Um, it, it's not fit for purpose. If you look at how we're using our buildings, they need to be doing more. Um, on the housing side, if I could have a wish, I would say residential property developers tax. It's a 4% surcharge on large house builders at a time that you want them to build houses. Uh, it seems a very um, uh, difficult sell in that market, particularly when they're facing all these increased construction costs and all that uncertainty. And then I think a theme that Lawrence may have mentioned at the beginning, one of the things I think is important to everybody is having that consistency. So real estate by its nature, you know, it has a longer life cycle in terms of its development. Um, And what businesses really would like is having, you know, a more long term outlook. So this SDLT changes, it's very difficult for businesses to be able to adapt and bring their, you know, their, their product to market in order to maximise that. So consistency and a long-term view would be lovely. Thank you. Yeah, and, and consistency and, and tax simplification, were, were, again, were, mm. were things that were in the document we, we submitted to Treasury. Um, I suppose I'm, I'm going to move this on to a slightly sort of broader look now. So, um, Rebecca, a number of your private client clients um, own their own businesses. So what, what steps would you like to see taken to, to aid growth for those organisations? Um, I think 
it again it touches a little bit on what caroline was saying we we've we've held um some round tables recently where we've had um the owners of th- those businesses t- discussing these points and a lot of the things that was coming were coming out of it was around resource so not just necessarily around materials but that kind of but people resource um and infrastructure as well how how the how the resources and the the materials are getting to them there's there's been so many kind of delays around um provision of being able to provide the services because of inflation because of interest rates because of lack of infrastructure and and, and investment in that area that everything you know doesn't actually matter always what type of business it is it the 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 actual delivery of the product or the service is taking much longer than it than it has done in the past um and so a lot of what they want to see is more around that side of things i mean obviously i am based in manchester so there's been a a lot of debate around infrastructure more recently i won't i won't mention (laughs) hs2 oh look i did um so you know there's a lot that a lot of that is important to to businesses that we're talking to but then you get back to that uncertainty and consistency around tax issues as well and and for a family business the intergenerational elements of that and how you plan for succession is also really important and going back to some of the points and the conversations that you know seems to be the the kind of election flag at the moment around inheritance tax if some of the changes that have been presented by both parties come into effect for inheritance tax that could actually change the landscape of how family businesses are passed on to next generation at the moment you know if that's done through probate at death it's quite easy for the for the beneficiary to be able and cheap for the beneficiary to be able to sell the shares on and pay very very little if any tax because of the up the combined uplift to the capital gains tax rate alongside business property relief on the actual asset so if some of those changes um that have been suggested are brought into place or for example removing removing the uplift that will put a very different perspective on how and when businesses um plan their succession and at what rate we might see businesses being passed on earlier um and again that's kind of that's something that they have to factor into their planning because a lot of this has to be funded. Um, and so where does the money come from? Where does the capital come from within the business to to fund that? So, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, outside um, factors that are affecting how these businesses are planning for the next five five to 10 years um but the underlying aspect of that seems to be clarity and, and clarity and stability and you know actually trying to make things easier rather than bringing in a lot more red tape thank you and um there's something i feel i need to add here and caroline kind of gave the game away a little bit for me earlier in that um <laughs> yes i'm the firm's head of tax but my, my passion is really vat um passion and, uh, passion, and it's been a lot of <laughs> a lot of chat around there. Yeah. <laughs> where the the vat registration threshold is is really felt to be a barrier to, to growth for smes um and there, there are stats of around um we, we think it's sort of twenty six thousand businesses that actually actively plan not to grow their their turnover above 85,000, which seems to be a real barrier to to, to the SME part of our economy growing further. So um, I I do sort of wonder whether there may be some changes there that that we will see um, next week. Um, 
Lawrence, uh, R&D tax credits, again, it's, it's something that's been in the spotlight recently. Um, so what, what's been happening and what changes could we see, please? Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting one because, you know, we've talked a lot about taxation and, you know, squeezing more out of what we've got at the moment. But actually another way to get there is to actually grow the economy. And, you know, that's one of the things R&D tax credits are, you know, allegedly there to do to encourage investment and innovation. And I, I think there's some sort of quote about Churchill that, from Churchill, which is along the lines of, you know, trying to tax your way to prosperity is like standing in the bucket and then trying to lift yourself up by the handle. So we do really need to think of ways of growing the economy. And, you know, historically, successive governments have kind of put all their eggs in the R&D tax credit basket. And kind of like many long established tax credits, when they prove too costly, they tend to get reviewed. Um, you know, one might also argue that have they been as effective as they, you know, as they should have been. Um, but in reality, Treasury's probably got politically quite a tough choice to make. You know, does it, you know, save money by cutting R&D tax credits um, and then, you know, kind of by implication support that it's giving for innovation? Or does it carry on doing that? Um the revenue have been doing a number of things over the, you know, probably the last year or so. They've been looking really hard at the definition of, in of innovation um, and seeing whether they can narrow down where valid claims can be made. Um, they're now talking about potentially merging the more generous small company relief with the less generous relief for larger companies. And you can imagine which the winning the winning version of that's going to be. That's definitely going to be the less generous one. Um and then, you know, kind of bigger picture, it actually plays into on an international scale. Uh, you know, people may be aware of this idea of plans for global minimum taxes, which are going to be set at around the 15 percent mark. But actually, one of the loopholes that governments can have to get you below that 15 percent mark is to give t big tax credits to companies that are operating in their, in, you know, in their territory. So you, you could see that, you know, the UK starts to phase out some generous tax credits, um, maybe just as uh, others are looking to introduce them to uh, play games around global minimum tax. And, you know, I guess that means we're either ahead of the curve or behind the curve. I guess only time will tell. But, um, you know, I think it's a, uh, you know, it's a politically interesting challenge uh, when you're trying to grow the economy to, um, you know, start playing around with what has been actually quite an important source of funding for a lot of small and growing businesses. Okay. Thank you, Lawrence. And um, thank you, Caroline and Rebecca. I, I'm going to wrap up the podcast now. Um, it is my job, I suppose, to try and kind of summarise the collective wisdom of the three of you. Um, we, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, I think the three themes really that, that, that stand out from this are, are fiscal growth, um, promoting sustainability and, and tax simplification. And I guess you could probably add a fourth, which is um, consistency in that kind of long term view. Um, what I propose to do actually is, is finish with a quote which I found on the Internet. And, and don't worry, Lawrence, it wasn't from your search history, um, where the, the quotation being that opportunities don't happen, you create them. So whatever the autumn statement brings next week, I'm hoping that um, our listeners can can use the, the changes that come to create opportunities for their businesses and their organisations. So but all that remains for me now to do is to thank everybody, to thank the panel, to thank you at home for listening um, and to remind you to look out for our reactions next week to the Chancellor's statement by following across social media channels and via our website www.crow.co.uk.
Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Rob. Thanks. Tune in next time for another episode of Crowcasts. For more information about Crow, our services, industries we devise, and insights, visit crow.co.uk. We are an independent member of Crow Global, one of the top 10 accounting networks in the world. You can connect with us on social media by following Crow UK on LinkedIn or at Crow UK on Twitter.